Good morning, guys. It's that time. Well, I'm going to give you an update. If you were here last week, the dog made it. I know, I know, yeah, you you guys have been losing sleep over that. I know you have. Uh, Yeah, I got got a video uh, of the dog uh, laying on a pillow. This is the most hyper dog I've ever seen in my life, and it's completely zonked out because for like four days it was in a crate uh, going from uh, here to Chicago, spent the night in Chicago, went to Tokyo, spent the night in Tokyo, went from Tokyo to Okinawa, and it is there. So now we're in uh, um, financial recovery mode. Uh, <laughs> so you can be praying about that. Had, had, a, had a long talk with my son about that. And, uh, you know, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. So. But the dog is officially there. Well, we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. This is where uh, he's going to start getting um, more and more practical as we get into these next chapters. And so this one in particular is going to be very practical, especially with where we are as a country right now and everything that we're facing, the election and all that. So keep that in mind as we read this. Chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the book of Peter and how rich and full it is. And I pray, Father, as we unpack these verses this morning, that you would uh, make them uh, real and applicable to our lives as Christians living in the United States of America in the 21st century in the year 2016, and that we would take these words and apply these words to the way we live our lives. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for Mark getting up uh, before the crack of dawn and making breakfast. Thank you for every guy sitting around these tables and may their effort to get here this morning be paid back um, many times over as you minister to them. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're doing the calling. We're talking about you and I have been called by God. 
Uh, last week we talked that you were called out of darkness, and this week we're going to talk about that you have been called to do good. Called to do good. Now, there's not a guy in the room who doesn't understand that as a Christian we're to do good things, right? If anything, you've been raised, uh, if you were like me, raised in the church, you were, it was drummed into your head what to do and what not to do. What's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. You, you know you're supposed to do good. That's not the issue. It's just, okay, how do I pull it off? How do I do good? How do I perform in the way that God expects me to perform and in, in, in a practical way? Sometimes Christianity can seem impractical. What, what do I do with it in daily life? What do I do with it in the workplace? Well, Peter's going to get incredibly practical this morning, as you can see in the verses that we're reading. He's going to talk about the government, uh, those in authority above you, and he's also going to talk about, um, here he talks about servants, but it applies to you and I as employees. Um, how do we react to those who are above us? What's our calling? So key verse this morning is verse 15. It says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, again, we know we're to do good, but sometimes we don't really understand or take into account that it is God's will for you to do good, that he wants you to do good, that he wants you to impact the world around you. It's, it's the will of God. And, and it reminds me of this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, which is a, a verse that I remember when I first ran across this, I was a little disappointed because I always want to know the will of God. I've, I've always wanted to know, should I buy this car, date this woman, do this, go there, buy this house? And, and I want God just to tell me. I want him just to write it on the wall. I want him to be very clear, do this, don't do that, because I don't want to make the wrong decision. And then I run across this verse, and it says, this is the will of God. And I got really excited because I thought, man, this is what I've always wanted. I, I want to know the will of God. And then I was disappointed with the second part, your sanctification. Now, some of your translations may say your holiness. Um, it disappointed me because that's not what I want. I want to know, should I buy this car? Should I date this girl? Should I do this? Should I go here? Should, what, what's it tell you? At the end of the day, what is God most obsessed about with your life? Your holiness. Not what kind of car you drive, not where you work. Does God care about where you work? Yes. But if you have a choice between two jobs and both of them are ethical and moral, and I really don't think God cares which one you take. What he cares about is regardless of which job you take, which one is going to help you in your pursuit of holiness? And so this is something we need to think about is what is God's will for you? Well, we just saw in reading in verse 15 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter, it's to do good. Here we read in Thessalonians, Paul says, the will of God for you is your holiness. I would think that those two things have something to do with one another, right? Holiness and doing good have something to do with one another. Just like we talked about two weeks ago that if you want to live holy, you've got to live what? Lovingly. Holiness and loving go hand in hand. Doing good and holiness go hand in hand. It's the will of God. But he goes on in Thessalonians, and this is the second half of what he says. Paul says, if you want to do the will of God, 
The will of God is your holiness, your sanctification. And then he goes on, that you abstain, we looked at this word last week, from what? Sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body. In holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner. In other words, if you want to do the will of God, God's will for you is holiness. Holiness means you've got to abstain from one thing, something, sin, doing what? Wrong. Doing what God disapproves of, that no one transgress and wrong his brother. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but for what? For holiness. God's will for you is holiness. God's will for you is that you do good. The doing good has to do with holiness, set-apartness. Remember, week one, set-apartness means that God has called you to be different, to be holy, to be like his son, to live differently in this earth. And that's why as he gets into these next chapters, it's going to get increasingly more practical. Um, you know, if you're going to skip a week, skip the week when we talk about husbands and wives, you know, because that's going to really get in your grill in terms of how you live this stuff out on a daily basis and make this stuff practical. But this morning, I can't think of a more practical thing to talk about than submitting to authority, right? When we live in a... a nation right now that's about to choose from um, the lesser of two evils. And, and we're going to, whoever, whoever we vote into that office, we're going to have to submit to them. And I don't know, that word just sticks in my craw every time I say it. And I picture those two individuals, but this stuff's real. How do you do it? Think about when this was written. Think about, you know, who was the emperor when uh, Peter wrote this? Nero. The Emperor Nero, who fiddled while Rome burned, who persecuted Christians and hung them on crosses and used them as uh, lights, he would put them on crosses and light, light them to light the way. And he was the authority when Peter penned these words. You know, we think we have it bad, and, and I think we do, but it's not quite that bad. So what do we do with this information? He says, abstain from sexual impurity, sexual immorality. In other words, just like we said last week, there are some things we've got to put off and not do. There are things in life that are wrong that God says, I don't want you to do those things. I want you to abstain from those things like sexual immorality, the passion of lust. It's a real issue for every guy in this room. We struggle with it. And we got to put it aside because as we saw again last week, it will destroy your soul and it will completely destroy your effectiveness in ministry for God. So he says, abstain from those things, but not only not to do certain things, we are to do certain things. There's the wrong things, there's the right things. So if you're going to abstain from one thing, you've got to do the right thing. And as we just said, God's will is not only that you do good, but that you do holy things, right things, set apart things. For God has not called you to what? Impurity, but to holiness, purity, right things. Now, we all know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It, again, the issue is not whether I need to do right things, good things, holy things. It's how do I pull it off? And what does it look like in everyday life? What does holiness look like? You, you may have seen people in your life that, that um, 
you've deemed for whatever reason, well, that guy, man, that guy's so holy. Usually what that means is he spends a whole lot of time in his Bible. He seems to have a lot of godly wisdom. He seems to be very calm. He seems to, you know, he goes to church all the time. There are certain aspects about him that you deem as holy. And that's not necessarily wrong, but, but I think the better way to deem if someone is holy is by looking at his behavior in the marketplace. Is he holy when he's around his family? Um, Have you seen him when he's with his wife and it's just the two of them? Have you seen how he disciplines his children? Have you seen him when he's alone by himself with his computer and it's late at night? Do you really know if he's holy? See, holiness is not just an external thing that we do, but again, as we, we said over and over again, our conduct stems from what? Our character, our internal character. And so holiness is all about behavior. It's all about how we conduct ourselves in this world. And we do live in this world, right? We do live in the midst of darkness. We do live in the midst of unbelievers who don't know right from wrong and who sometimes confuse right and wrong. So we're to be holy. Why? Verse 9, we looked at last week, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You've been called by God, set apart by God, that you may proclaim the excellencies, the greatness of him, God, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You belong to him. We're a different nation. We belong to a different place and a different um, community. And as Members of that community, that called out community, we're to live differently. We're to live holy. And it's not just about not doing unholy things. See, I was raised with um, a mindset from my mom and dad. My dad was a preacher. You guys have heard that a thousand times. My mom was a preacher's wife. She took her role incredibly seriously. And it usually resulted in behavioral issues. Don't do that. Why? Because we don't do that. Um, Don't talk like that. Why? Because we don't talk like that. Don't hang out with them. Why? Because they're not believers. Well, if I don't hang out with them, who do I hang out with? I mean, I grew up in New York. There were no believers in my school that I knew of. So I was like, if I don't hang out with them, it's just me. Well, don't hang out with them. Hey, I'm going over to Jimmy's house. No, go to Jimmy's house. Why can't I go to Jimmy's house? They're not believers. But Jimmy's my friend. He's not a believer. I don't want you over at their house. Bad influences. And I was always being told what not to do. And I was given this list of things to do. And it was very confusing for me as a kid. Which one was the best? Was it doing all these things or was it not doing these things? Or was it some combination of both? And I would try to give up these things. I didn't want to do these things. I would try, but I didn't enjoy it. And so it was just, I never could do enough is how I felt with my mom, especially not so much my dad, but I could never make my mom happy. So if I gave up five of the eight of these things I wasn't supposed to do and did two of the 10 things I was supposed to do, she still wasn't happy. And guess what happened to me as I got older and older? I just gave up. I just said, screw it. She's never going to be happy. So why do I do any of these things? If I do three, she's not happy. If I did five, she's not happy. Probably if I did all 10, she's not going to be happy because I didn't give up three of these. So which is it? What are we supposed to do? Well, guys, we, 
Today, what we're talking about is that there are certain right things that we are to do. We are to give up certain unholy things in our lives. That's, that's a given as believers. We're to give those things up, put them off, cast them off. But we're to put on the right things. But what do the right things look like? I am so glad that you're here this morning. This, this is always exciting to me to see this many guys studying the Word of God together. But if you don't take what you hear this morning and take it out in the marketplace, it, it, we're wasting our time here. This does not make you holy. And, and this is a great activity. It's a wonderful activity. And you might say it's a holy activity. But what I think God is more concerned about is what do you do with the word that you're hearing right now when you walk out these doors and go out into the community? Are you living holy there? This, this, this is what some would describe as a holy huddle. You know, we all come together, we all believe, we all like each other, we all, for the most part, we all believe in the Word together, and, and this is kind of a safe place to be, but then when you go out there, what's it like? It's tough. It's hard. That's where holy living really has to take place, and that's what he talks about in these verses. Because we, we are his um, conduit. He works through us to take the gospel, to take the word of God out into the marketplace and to affect all those around us. He says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the lost. When he refers to the Gentiles here, he's talking about those outside the church, outside the group of people that he's writing to who don't know Jesus Christ. And they're all around us. So keep your conduct among them honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, because that's what they are, whether they're the nicest person you ever met or the meanest person you ever met, they are evildoers. Why? Because they're under the influence of evil, Satan. They're lost. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're condemned. And he says, when they speak against you, they may see your good deeds. In other words, they watch your holy behavior and they glorify God on the day of visitation. It seems to be that Peter's saying that your influence on the lives of the lost will be so great and could be so great that when the Lord returns, they have become believers themselves. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting thing to think about because my dad was an evangelist. My dad, uh, to the day he died, was always sharing the gospel. He, it drove me absolutely nuts because my dad expected everybody to be an evangelist including me. And he, you know, our church was always doing some kind of evangelism training, evangelism explosion. Here's life. You named it, we did it. And it was usually a weekend and took the whole Saturday and you were up the church learning how to evangelize. And guess what was, what followed the training? Doing it, going to the mall with little tracks and stopping people and, you know, here, sharing the gospel or going door to door, which really scared the bejeebers out of me just knocking on some stranger's door and hoping they would listen to you. No, what I really hope for is they wouldn't answer the door. But my dad loved evangelism. He loved to share the gospel. He was always leading people to Christ. But you know what I am more convinced of than ever is that it is your daily behavior in the marketplace that will draw people to Christ, not how well you proclaim the four spiritual laws. Now, is it wrong to share your faith with the four spiritual laws? Not in the least. But if you do that, but you don't live godly, you do a disservice to evangelism. You are the greatest, you're either the greatest tool for the gospel and the greatest testimony with your life, or you're the worst 
PR plan God ever came up with. Just based on the way you live your life. Are people attracted? Do they look at you, see your good deeds, and go, man, there's something about that guy. There's something about the way he lives his life. So he says, live honorably. But what does that look like? What does it mean to live honorably, to conduct yourself in a holy way out in the marketplace? Well, he gets specific. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Wait a minute, Peter. Wait a minute. Every human institution. What are you talking about? Well, whether it be to the emperor. Who's the emperor? Nero. Now, I got I to gotta get into the sandals of the people reading this thing and just think, wait, Peter, wait a minute. Do you have any idea what you're saying? You're, you're, you're living in Jerusalem, which is far away, but we're, living, we're closer to the source. We're, we're closer to Rome. We, you don't understand. No, he fully understands. He, he gets it. He says, no, you, you be subject to the emperor Nero as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good for this, here it comes again, for this is the will of God. Really? Let's just go back to the holiness thing. This is the will of God, your holiness. I'll, I'll stick with that. No, this is your holiness lived out, guys, that you be subject for the Lord's sake. So what does he mean? The, the word is hippotasso, uh, and it simply means to be subject. Does that help you guys? Be subjects, to subject yourself, to literally, willfully subject yourself to the authority of someone over you, and by extension, to obey them. Yeah, but I don't like them. I don't like their rules. I don't like their laws. I don't want to obey them. Well, that, that's, he doesn't give you that option. He says, no, you are to be subject, to yield one's self to their admonition that means their correction and also their advice. When's the last time the U.S. government gave you any advice that you wanted to take? Probably not recently, right? They never seem to think anything through. They never think, think to do anything very wisely. But, but yet he says you're to subject yourself, come under their authority, their admonition, and even their counsel and advice. That's pretty scary. Do you want the U.S. government to tell you how to spend your money? Probably not, but to a certain degree, this is exactly what Peter is telling us to, and it, it goes along with what Paul said. He's not alone in this. Paul spoke about this continually, and in Romans, he says, everyone, speaking to believers, must submit to governing authorities. Everyone. For all authority comes from who? God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by who? By God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Wait a minute, God, that's not fair. You put me under this government, Nero. You say you placed him there. You put him in authority. You've placed me under him. You're telling me I got to obey him, and if I don't, I'm going to get punished. He's the one who's crucifying Christians. He's the one who's abusive. He's the one who's taking his authority and misusing it. One of the interesting things about this whole passage, and, and even with Romans and others that Paul wrote, is that nowhere are we encouraged to civil disobedience. Nowhere. 
And yet that is our leaning. You know, I don't know where it comes from. It probably comes somewhat from the fall and our sin nature, but we are rebellious by nature. And there's in us this, yeah, but that's how this country came about. We rebelled. And we're going to rebel again. I'm amazed how much I read, you know, on, on Facebook and other social media about annexing, you know, the state of Texas. We're just going to leave the union. I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's going to solve all our problems, right? Yeah. Um, we want to rebel. We don't want to be under authority. And yet, what does he say? This is God's will for you, your holiness. This is God's will for you that you submit to those in authority of you for the sake of the Lord. What in the world does that mean? It really, literally means for the Lord. Do it for the Lord. You know, in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, it talks about wives submitting to their husbands as unto the Lord. We're to submit to authority as to the Lord, for the Lord, for his sake, for his name. Because we do so much damage to the name of Christ when we rebel against authority. I think Christians who post on Facebook and other social media diatribes about Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or you pick the politician of the day and they, they write scathing criticisms and post really obnoxious videos that somebody sent to them, nothing that they've researched, nothing that they've proofed, nothing they know the facts about, but it just it fits their paradigm, political paradigm. They stick it on Facebook and they do harm to the name of Christ. And this is what he's talking about. It doesn't mean that I have to like what the government is doing. It doesn't mean that I have to enjoy the two choices that I've been given, that I feel like God's just given us what we deserve. It's like him, him giving the Israelites Saul. Give us a king like all the other nations. Great, here's Saul. Oh, man, he looks like a king. Man, he's tall and handsome. And Yeah, come on, Saul. How'd that work out for them? Well, I think we're getting exactly what we deserve. But I, I got to keep in mind that when I submit to whoever is in authority, I'm doing it as to the Lord, for the Lord. I'm doing it for him, and I, I'm doing it as to him. Because what did we just read? Ultimately, he's an authority. This is about the sovereignty of God, guys. That at the end of the day, God is in control. God is the one who's sovereign. God knows the two choices that we have. He's not up in heaven wringing his hands, shaking his head, going, how in the world did it come to this? I've got 18 other people that would have been better candidates than this. How did we get here? He knows exactly what's going on. He already knows who's going to win. He already knows what the outcome of that win is going to be for this country, for your life, for my life. He is in full control. And I submit as unto him because it's holy, because for whatever reason, whoever wins will be there because God has deemed it so. He has allowed it to happen. Just like Saul became king of Israel and was a lousy king. There were a multitude of kings of Israel who were lousy kings, and God was sovereign over everyone. Submit as to the Lord. Ephesians says this, Serve with goodwill as to the Lord. There it is again. And not to men, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. 
Just submit. Submit as unto the Lord. Just say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't even necessarily like it. I don't like this candidate. I didn't vote for this candidate. But you know what? I'm going to submit as unto you because you're in control. You are holy. You know what you're doing. And I'm going to trust you. You should vote. Ted preached a sermon on this. I'm not going to re-preach a sermon, but you should vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That's between you, your conscience, and God Almighty, but you should vote. And there are voter registration cards on the table. But to not vote is also to be disobedient to God because he's given you the privilege. He's given you the right, and you should use it. You should use it wisely, prayerfully, and then leave the outcome to him. Don't, here's, here's my encouragement. Don't sit on election night and glue to your TV watching all those numbers come up and you will get an ulcer and you will ultimately be disappointed in some way because even if your candidate wins, you will be highly disappointed. You will be. Trust God. Vote, but trust God. He says, serve with goodwill as to the Lord. He, he mentions the emperor as supreme. Literally superior in rank to you. Well, let's face it. Whoever becomes president is superior in rank to you. You are not president of the United States. You don't control the military. You're not ultimate in authority. So he says, whoever the emperor is, in this case it was Nero when this was written, he says, they are supreme, submit to them as to the Lord. Come under their authority. To a certain degree, you have to because they're an authority. But there's a difference between unwillingly submitting and willingly submitting. You ever had your kid unwilling, unwillingly submit to you? It's that I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up in my mind, you know. Okay, Dad, yeah, whatever. Okay, fine, yeah, I'll do it. And you can just see that they're so rebellious and so resistant. That is not what we've been called to. It is a willing submission to this individual as to the Lord. Lord, you put them there. I don't get it. I hope you use them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm not always going to like what they do, but I am, as an act of holiness, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to submit. To the emperor, he says, to the governors, as sent by him. You know, what's really interesting is that this time, you know who is still a governor? Felix? Pilate? Those names sound familiar? Go read the Gospels. Who did Jesus have to appear before? Felix? Pilate? They're still governors at this time, Roman governors. And he says, submit to them as sent by God. Isn't it interesting that those two gentlemen played a role in the death of Jesus? They were on the throne at a particular time, and God used them to accomplish his divine will for the redemption of mankind. See, I don't know who's going to win the election, but here's what I do know. God will use them in some way because God's sovereign. And God will do what he is going to do regardless of who gets there. That doesn't mean I shouldn't vote. Doesn't mean I sit on my hands and go, well, God's going to take care of it anyway. No, I need to do my part. I need to do my civil duty. And I need to subject myself, submit myself to their authority, but always trusting that God is in control ultimately. He will do what only he can do. And it's interesting, he says, these governors, these individuals, these people in authority are there to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. They have a purpose. God has given them a purpose. And government is a God-ordained thing. God wants government. Are there bad governments? Most certainly, all around the world. Are there evil governors and 
politicians, yes, all around the world, even in this country, but it doesn't negate the fact that government is good and there for reason. Are there bad parents in the world? Yes. Maybe some of you had a really lousy dad. Does that mean fatherhood is a lousy thing? No. It's God-ordained. It was created by God. Just because there are bad apples doesn't mean the whole concept gets thrown out. Government is good. It's there. It is to punish evil. And to a certain degree, our government does that. Our government does function. But it's made up of flawed individuals, just like there are flawed parents, flawed fathers. But we need to understand that they've been sent by God, emperors, governors, presidents, politicians. They're there under God's divine plan so that there's control. If you take away all government, what do you have? Anarchy. Just civil disobedience run amok. We do need our government. There are benefits to our government. That's why it's so important. In, in Romans, Paul goes, all authority comes from God. All authority. You know, your authority as a father, if you're a father, comes from God. It's not your right. It's not because you're older and you've lived longer than that kid that you, you get to lord over them. No, you have a God-given authority and you should treat it well. Every person who is a governor, emperor, president, congressman, mayor, ideally should see that their role comes from God and they should use it with that in mind. But see, Peter's not talking to them in this passage, which really irks me. He's just talking to us. It's like he's talking to a child with a bad parent saying, you need to submit to that parent. Yeah, but God, God you don't understand my dad. He's a jerk. Submit as unto me because that's the holy thing. Yeah, but dad, you don't understand. He's abusive. Submit as unto me. Yeah, but dad, when he, he's not like Jimmy's dad. I could submit to Jimmy's dad because he's a pretty good dad, but this guy's he's a jerk. Submit. See, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about the dad. He doesn't talk about the governor. He doesn't talk about the emperor. He talks about you as a believer. And it's all about, ultimately, his sovereignty. Who is in control? Him. Even if you're a 17-year-old boy with a really bad father figure in your life, if you could grasp this concept and understand that I'm going to submit to him as unto the Lord, what's going to help you understand is that ultimately, you know, God's in control. I don't like the way my dad talks to me. I don't like the way my dad treats me, but God deemed it that I was going to be born into this family through that man, and you know what? I'm going to submit to him as to the Lord, and I'm just going to trust the Lord's going to do something with us in my life. And there are many of you who can give testimony to the fact that you did have that lousy father figure, but you know what? It's made you a better father because of what you went through. You're more sensitive. You're more empathetic. You, you understand what it's like, and God uses that in your life. The SV Transformation Study Bible, and its note says this, when we sinfully rebel against earthly authorities, we unwittingly testify that our hope is in earthly things. Think about that. When you rebel against earthly authorities, when you get bent out of shape about what's going on in society and you, you have this inner desire to want to rebel, you're basically saying, all of my hope is in this earth. All of my hope is in whoever gets elected. And, and, and we begin to panic, and it reveals that we have this earthly mentality when we should have a heavenly one, that ultimately God has a better place for us. God has a plan for us. 
God is sovereign. God is in control. It goes on and says, ironically enough, however, when we cling to Christ's sovereign lordship and eternal riches, we are free to submit to the authorities, demonstrating that our hearts are not tuned to the world and its passing riches. You see this lived out every, in every passage that Paul lives his life through in Acts in his letters, that he submitted to authority, he went to Rome, he got put in jail, he didn't rebel against it, he didn't run away from it, he said, they're in control, they want me to go to jail, I'm going to go to jail, and what did he do? He wrote most of his letters from jail. He evangelized his guards. One of the worst jobs you could have had in the New Testament was to be a a guard guarding Paul because you were a captive audience, and he shared the gospel with you every day. And I'm sure these guys were like bartering. Okay, I'll, I'll give you half my salary if you'll take my night shift. I just can't take this guy anymore. You, you go in. Why? What's wrong with it? Just go in there. Just, you, you go spend the night with him. See, he was in jail. He submitted to authority. He didn't rebel against it. He used his rights, right? He, he said, I'm a Roman, and I deserve to go see who? The emperor. He used his rights, but he still submitted. He still went to jail he, because he knew that at the end of the day, he's really submitting to God, and God was going to use this in his life, and he did. Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Submit to authority as to the Lord. This begs the question, is there ever a time for civil disobedience? Now, I, I got to say that... Um, this, this is, always comes up when you deal with these passages, um, and people always say, yeah, but. I hear what he's saying, but. What if the government's corrupt? And to a certain degree, we could easily say our government's corrupt. Uh, I, I don't think it would be any stretch of the imagination, slander, lying, evil on my part to say both of the candidates we have are less than truthful, probably deceitful. Um, most likely dishonest um, in their personal lives, in their political lives. So what is the, the government's corrupt? Here's the problem. Peter doesn't deal with it. He's completely silent on it. You cannot use this passage to promote civil disobedience. As a matter of fact, I don't know of any passage you can use in, in the Bible, especially the New Testament, that, that promotes civil disobedience. And even the Old Testament, if you go back, I started thinking about, did the Israelites ever rebel against the Egyptians? No. Did God ever tell the Israelites to rebel against the Egyptians? No, that he told them, you submit to me, you submit to Moses, and I'm going to free you from this. This is up to me. Trust me. But during all that 400 years of captivity, at no point did they ever rebel against the authority. One of them tried. Who was it? Moses. And it wasn't the way God wanted it done. God wanted him to submit to the authority, as unto me, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of Pharaoh. I'll do it in my time. How about this? Did God tell them to rebel against the Babylonians? Years and years later, when they went into captivity because of their sin against God, did, did God, God say, hey, you know, you guys just need to rebel against these Babylonians? No, he said, you need to submit. And trust me that I'm going to restore you to the land, but you got to submit. Did Jesus tell the disciples to rebel against Rome? No. At no point did Jesus say, you know, these Romans are really corrupt and you guys need to do something about it. It it was the other way around. What did the disciples expect Jesus to do? 
turn the tables on the Romans. They thought he had come to be Messiah, Messiah, to be the king, and to restore them to power and get rid of the Romans, and that's not what he came to do. It's not about rebelling against government. Egypt, Babylon, and Rome were all evil countries, evil governments. They were abusive in their powers. They misused the authority given to them by God, but at no point did God say, I want you to rebel against them. No, what God wanted is I want you to submit to me, to them as unto me. Submit to the Babylonians. Submit to the Egyptians. Submit to Rome. Come under their authority, but always remember that ultimately I'm an authority. And God used all three of these countries for what? His purposes. See, I don't know what God has in store for the United States. I don't have a clue, and I don't think you're going to get it from the book of Revelation. You can read into the book of Revelation a whole lot of things, but it's not really clear what's going to happen in the United States. I don't think it's going to be great or good, but I do think God's going to use whoever gets elected to do what he wants to do in this country, and it may be to break us, and we need brokenness in this country, spiritual brokenness. But ultimately, i got to submit he says in verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We are ultimately servants of God, not the government. Ultimately, we answer to him. But because I answer to him and because I want to live holy and his will for me is holiness, and holiness shows up in good conduct, I'm going to submit as to the Lord, subjecting myself to the government, to its rules, its regulations, and always knowing, always reminding myself, God, you are in control. Don't get it. Don't necessarily like it. Don't approve of this plan, but I'm going to su submit to it as unto you. Here's what he says in verse 17. He, he just sums it all up in four statements. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That is holy living, right? According to Peter, according to the Holy Spirit, ultimately according to God, this is what it looks like to live holy, we are obligated as children of God, called by God to extend to every human being respect and dignity. Whether you like them or approve of them, you're to extend to them human dignity. And yet we look down on so many people for a lot of different reasons, political, racial, economic. No, we're to show them respect. Show love to the body of Christ. That's a given. We know that. Love one another. We don't always do it well, but we know we're to do that. How about show God reverence, that he is in control, and when you submit to authority, you're showing reverence to God. You're, you're admitting in your life, by your conduct, that he is in control. And finally, treat the highest authority in the land, whoever it is, the same way you would the lowest person. And some of you are going, yeah, well, I can do that. I could, yeah, I could treat them like the scum of the earth. No, 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 you missed the point. Because what does he say at the very beginning? Honor everyone, the poorest person to the highest person. Honor them in the same way. It's the same word. Honor the emperor the same way you would the lowliest person. Honor the lowliest person the way you would the emperor. Remember in the book of James, he talks about the fact that you, you get the rich people coming into your church, you give them the best seat in the house and take the poor person and make them sit in the back. No, no, no. Honor everyone. Treat them all with dignity and respect the way God would do. So he gets specific. He's going to get even more specific, and he's going to deal with servants. I'm going to have to move through this real quick. 
He says, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So now he's going to talk about servants. And you, you're, I know in your mind you're going, okay, now I can kind of kick back. I don't have to listen to this. I'm not a servant. Yeah, you are. This is not talking about slaves as we would know them. It's about servants. And the word in the Greek refers to a household servant. It's not a slave. It's not somebody who's under authority and been captivated and subjugated. This is a person who's being paid a salary. They work in the home and they are paid. They're house servants. Not a slave like we would think of the Civil War era. This is not what that's talking about. But these people often had cruel masters. Have you ever had a cruel boss? You ever had a jerk for a boss? You may be that jerk to someone else right now. We've all had them. We know what it's like. And he's speaking to you and he's saying, hey, submit yourself to whoever is an authority over you at work. Oh, now you're really, you know, now you're stepping on my toes, Peter. That's not easy to do. These servants while they were paid, didn't have a whole lot of control over their lives. Just like at work, you don't necessarily have a whole lot of control over your life other than I can quit. But as long as you're pay, taking a paycheck, guess what? You have to do what they tell you to do. And sometimes you don't want to do that. And he says, you need to submit. He says, of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. What's he talking about? Servants who have a job, they're paid a wage, their master, their employer is a jerk, they're cruel. And he's saying, if you do bad and they persecute you, you deserve it. If you do good and they persecute you, you're blessed. That didn't even make sense. No, you're blessed because you're doing the will of God. You're doing what is holy. You're doing what is good. See, you're expected to obey your boss. Even if they're idiots, even if they mistreat you, Peter says, submit to them. Come under their authority. I work at the church. One of my authorities is Bill Egner. Bill Egner is a rocket scientist by training. Bill Egner is brilliant. Bill Egner is, is, is I mean, he's just like, he's like a robot in the sense that he, he just, he knows so much about everything. He is a, you know, you sit down with him and he knows more about your job than you do. And, and he and I are like oil and water. I mean, we just are so, he's the, he's the left brain, I'm all right brain. And, and, and we get together and it's like a train wreck. And, and early on in our relationship, it, it was really, really tense. And I did not want to submit to his authority because I didn't agree with him. And I would subtly rebel against him. And God has worked on me and he's worked on him. And God has helped me to understand that, you know, ultimately I have to submit to him because he's a brother in Christ for one, but he's also been put there by God. And God has taken that relationship and he's molded that relationship into something that gives glory to God. I still wrestle with it. 
I, I, I still don't necessarily always like to submit to him, but you know what? It is my God-given responsibility to submit to his authority as unto the Lord. And when I do that, it brings glory to God and it, it does good things for this fellowship. See, it happens even in the church, guys. We need to submit. And it's not subjugation. It could result in that. You may have a boss who subjugates you and it treats you like dirt. But when you submit, God is pleased. Even if it means suffering, submit. Come under. Suffering for sin is expected. Suffering for doing good is not. But you know what? It happens all the time. When you do the right thing, when you do good, you will suffer. And he says, the example we have to follow is Jesus Christ himself. Look at his life. He suffered for you. He submitted for you. He subjugated himself, even subjugated himself for you. Died on the cross in your place so that you might be saved. And so here he is calling us to do the same thing. Submit to those in authority. Submit to those who are your bosses and who are over you in the workplace so that ultimately God will get the glory. Well, I'm going to skip to the end and we're going to go to the, the questions because I, I want you guys to deal with this on a personal level, a practical level, around the tables. Here's your questions. Discuss what you think would be the benefit of God leading you through the darkest valleys. What does that have to do with? Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is something we all love to read because it's so encouraging. He is my shepherd. He leads me through uh, the still waters, the green pastures. But right smack dab in the middle of that passage is a statement that says, dark valleys. It talks about, he leads me into the dark valleys. What a, why would a good shepherd ever lead me into the dark valleys? Because sometimes you got to get through the dark valleys to get to the green pastures. Is there ever a reason why God would take you through a valley of darkness for your good and his glory? Maybe you've got an example of what that looks like in your own life. Why do you think God would call us to do good deeds only end up to suffering for them? What, what good is that? Why would God do that? Discuss the following quote. When we sinfully rebel against earthly authorities, we unwittingly testify that our hope is in earthly things. Have you seen that to be true in your own life? So you got three questions. You probably won't get through them all. Pick one. Vote. Don't, don't let your table shepherd rule over you. But do submit to his authority. As to the Lord. And let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for this word. I know it's hard. It's difficult, especially facing what we face right now as a country. But Lord, you have called us to live godly lives, holy lives. And that shows up in our re relationships with those around us, our bosses, um, our government. And sometimes, Father, it just doesn't look like it, it makes any sense. But you are ultimately in control. And we got to trust you. Bless the time around the tables, Father, and I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys.